Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. You awake over there? I don't, not for long. Dozing on her microphone. That's right. Uh, well, it's so pillowy. It's like I a little netting. Uh, well, welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. Thanks. That's what we're here for. We're uh, here for. for. Welcome you. Welcome everyone. Uh, so this week's episode, we had a spa episode. It was a weight loss regimen for Suzanne and Charlene, and it was a weight gain regimen for Julia and Mary Jo, and that is the inspiration for today's segment. With that in mind, we're going to talk about the culture's obsession with thinness and weight loss. What's going on here and how is this affecting people? This segment isn't necessarily geared towards women, but certainly that's the perspectives that well, we can come to the table with. And while we don't own these obsessions, well, I think it's fair to say that women were early adopters. I also think that this is another clear-cut example of where things haven't changed enough since this episode aired. Not to say that nothing has changed, but we could use a little bit more progress here. We're also going to talk a bit about fad diets and spa treatments, and then we'll close out with some information about healthy eating habits and just like some healthy habits. So, Nikki, as always, pop in. Let me know if you have questions. I feel like I might be in more of a position to fill questions here than maybe ever before. <laughs> a fair amount of experience. Well, just more here than like, let's say, history. Right. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's probably a little bit more limited. Like, what happened in 1953? I don't know. You know what that means? I'm not going to have any questions for you this time. Well, you know, keep me on my toes. All right. So I am going to pause here for a trigger warning that we will be talking about things like eating disorders. Not a lot, but we will touch on that. We are talking about dieting culture, so that's just what it is. And then other things that might be uncomfortable for some listeners. If that is you, please stop now. Come back to us when our finale finale episode drops in a few weeks. We'd love to have you back then, but take care of you because that's important. Now... Let's go ahead and, you know, I'm going to read this line that I wrote and it's really dumb. Okay. (laughs) Just just for you. Let's Maria Von Trapp this thing. That is, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Oh, gosh. I sure regret it. I regret it, but I said it anyway. (laughs) In the dating app titles. Really regretted that one as they were coming out of my mouth. You really shouldn't. So here in the U.S., the concept of mainstream dieting can be traced back to as early as the 1840s when Sylvester Graham, a Presbyterian minister, preached that, quote, spices, stimulants, and other overindulgences lead to indigestion, check, illness, sure, sexual excess, and civil disorder. Eh, I don't know. According to the Live Science article I read. Cinnamon. It's the spice that does it all. Spice of life. Um, According to the Live Science article I read, he was pushing for a, quote, plain abstinent diet for women as the key to health and morality. This diet consisted mainly of vegetables, water, and bread made of coarse graham flour. Fun little fact. He was mean. (laughs) Well, these are literally the OG graham crackers. So, today's... graham crackers? Graham crackers. I can move with that. No, no. Today's sugar-filled version would no doubt make Minister Graham roll over in his grave. There's like a whole fascinating story here to be told by the Dollop podcast. So we'll link to that for folks to listen to. It's called The Serial Men, and that's a wild ride. Okay. Show you. I did not see that coming. Well, let me just tell you, there's some really interesting people in the world. That's all you need to know. But it's better they tell you because it's it's very tangential to this, but 
let's just say Minister Graham also came up in here, and then he comes up a lot on the dollop as well. So the article points out a couple of other interesting tidbits about how we operated before this time. So even going back as far as colonial times, Americans have always been a little bit heavier than our European counterparts because well, we have a lot of land, that equals more food, that equals more to eat. The mentality was also different. So if you were a little plump, it indicated health and vitality. It wasn't necessarily a flaw. Now, the idea that being heavier is somehow wrong and connected to laziness is something that really took root at the tail end of the 1800s. And by the 1920s, calorie counting and diets are quite pervasive. So... That's like 100 years. According to Sarah Lohman, who's a historic gastronomist, there was a mix of other things also going on that shaped the way that Americans look at weight. So urbanization and industrialization played a role. It's amazing how much like city spread and jobs have affected like every little facet of life. Mm -hmm. But in this case, urbanization meant more sedentary lifestyles than we previously knew and access to more kinds of food than we ever had before. And then the Industrial Revolution impacted fashion by popularizing standard sizes. Suddenly, women were very aware of their size and primed oh, for comparison. No. When they were making their own clothes, they just made them fit. I, they I, didn't care whether it was a 2 or a 12. That's right. And oh, we also... That's sad. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, I know. Well it's, like, well, it's pretty easy to be a woman, so I'm sure it was fine. Yeah. So we also lost corsets around this time oh. for very good reason, and we gained both the scale and more food science knowledge. Gosh darn it. So here's how this winds up playing out. Now, an important part I didn't really realize about that medieval torture device known as the corset <laughs> is that it wasn't really... In my mind, it was always about making your waist look tiny. Uh-huh. It was also about moving things around. So, like, maybe you wanted to hoist these or, oh, you uh-huh. know, ex- accentuate whatever was in fashion at the I time. I really thought you meant, like, your liver and your kidneys because <laughs> it also did that. I think of those hoisted, it hoisted <laughs> all the innards. Yeah. I thought that's what you meant. <laughs> so, when those fell out of fashion, women were suddenly not wearing them anymore, and now they're hyper aware of their natural shape. So Uh-oh. suddenly they know their size, things are flopping around. Uh-oh. Around this time, we learned what the calorie was. We also learned what fats are, vitamins and minerals. So along comes the scale, and suddenly Americans can track their weight and their calories. Everything's just falling at our knees. <laughs> just, it's just a good time, you know? <laughs> It's a good time to be like I've ever had anything fall at my Everything's coming up rice cakes. (laughs) Everything's coming up rice cakes. That's right. So according to registered dietitian and nutrition nutrition therapist, Elisa Rumsey, she came came up a lot in my research and she would probably like me to pronounce her name correctly. I think it's Alyssa. Um, Physicians and those in public health didn't start actually advising weight loss until the early 1900s. It sounds like it really had more to do with this culture of, of thinness that's coming up than like, oh, the old scientific evidence piece. And um, that was like, con- that should have been connecting weight and health. In fact, Rumsey Point Blank says, quote, there is zero research that proves higher amounts of weight or body fat cause diseases like heart disease, cancer, or diabetes. There may be some correlation at play, but evidence shows it's behaviors and socioeconomic factors that impact our health the most. So what does matter then? 
What's that now? Stress. Stre- yeah. Yeah. Rumsey mentions things like access to safe housing, good health care, not experiencing discrimination, eating a variety of nutritious. All small things. Right. Um, eating a variety of nutritious foods and being physically active. All of those things really have a lot more to do with it. Experiencing discrimination, in case that doesn't like resonate for anyone listening, or that might feel like an outsider to the rest of the things on that list, like nutritious foods. I mean, one thing that I thought about as an example that was, um, I don't know, coming to mind is this idea of the discrimination you might face in the exam room. Mm-hmm. by a provider that's if you're able to access healthcare in the first place mm-hmm. um and we have talked here on this podcast about how um people may be treated differently because they're a woman because they look different whatever the case is it's not like all the issues of the world like leave just because you walk in those doors mm-hmm And so her point was weight loss can happen, but that's more of a secondary thing. It doesn't have to happen if these other things will happen. Unfortunately, it's a lovely thing to hear. Unfortunately, those are the harder things to target, you know, and those are the harder things to work on. But we do have a terrible habit in our society of doing the Band-Aid thing instead of doing the pullback thing. Just starve yourself and don't worry about all the other stuff. Everything will click into place when you're 110 pounds. I mean, weight-wise or not, all the other stuff's killing you, so. (laughs) (laughs) Da-da-da-da-da-da. Boop. I told you we keep it light. So I don't want to rehash things that we've already discussed this season, but you can hear more about how a weight-based approach to health is problematic in episode 11's Extra Sugar. And actually, I think that might be a good companion piece to this one. Now, at that time, we also touched on something that Rumsey does more extensively in her U.S. News & World Report article that we'll link to, and that's the idea that the diet culture we know today started as a way to control groups of people, including women and people of color. I encourage reading her arguments there because she's going to do a better job making that argument than I ever will here. But the bottom line is this is another situation where if you follow the trail long enough, we're really talking less about health and we're talking more about power, status, hierarchy, achieving those things and keeping those things. It's not all diabolical. Diet culture also stems from wanting to belong. That's practically written into our DNA. And even if it's not weight, I think most everyone has experienced what it feels like to be othered when we don't fit the mold of what's accepted or acceptable. Today, I think our obsession is driven by things we've all likely heard about before. Western beauty standards proliferated by legacy and new media, and money. According to Ms. Magazine, Americans spend $33 billion on weight loss products each year. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of cash, and I imagine that people who have part of that pie will say and do what they need to do to keep it. So now that we understand a little bit about the history, let's talk about the impact. There really is such a thing as weight and weight loss obsession. It's not just the name of this segment. It can affect you physically and psychologically, and it can be harmful. Here are some signs according to Very Well Fit. Preoccupation with food in a way that's disrupting your life. Constant monitoring of calories, macros, or overall food intake. Frequent weigh-ins or other body measures. Anxiety associated with specific foods, such as cutting out carbs or sugar. 
rigid rules around food and or um, exercise, feeling guilty and shameful when eating certain foods, a loss of control around food such as binge eating, using exercise or purging to burn more calories, following fad diets, weight fluctuations, or yo-yo dieting. I don't know anything about any one of those. Not a thing. I've never even thought once about any any of those things. I I I I just wish I could relate. Mm -hmm. So there is also eating disorders and disordered eating. Here are the descriptions on those. An eating disorder is a mental illness that meets the specific criteria defined by the American Psychiatric Association. Things like anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. Disordered eating isn't a diagnosis, but rather a way to describe abnormal eating behavior. So someone may have disordered eating patterns, but they don't fit within the current APA eating disorder diagnosis. It may still require treatment, and it could turn into something more problematic. It almost reminds me of the way that you talked about stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's like these really strict definitions. We use these kinds of things interchangeably, but um, they're not really all that interchangeable, but they can feed into the other one. Uh, according to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, 9% of the U.S. population or 28.8 million Americans will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. And every 52 minutes, at least one person dies as a direct result of an eating disorder. disorder excuse me. Have you ever heard of orthorexia nervosa? Is that where you exercise too much? It's in line with that. So here's how they define it. This is a condition where some people may also become obsessed with only eating foods they deem healthy or high quality, whether that means it's organic, vegan, non-GMO, etc. Okay. I'm mentioning it, this for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's a good reminder that you can take anything to an unhealthy place, mm-hmm. and even when it's health. And then number two, also that we all kind of wear obsession differently, if that makes sense. And so it makes some concerning behavior harder to spot. Huh. So they didn't have a whole lot to say on that one. Um, I think this is just a reminder that like, even when you're trying to just do the right things, you can take that to a level where it, it becomes unhealthy. It's even that, mentally. Thing, that thing where you lose control over your decision making. Um, you lose control to an inanimate, inanimate something. Yeah. So like if it is an ideal and, and that is what you are like, you don't get to decide what you want for breakfast anymore. Veganism decides what you get to eat for breakfast this morning. So if you're thinking, I really want, um, a bagel with cream cheese. Oh, but I can't have that. That's bad. That is disordered eating. That's how you, you identify it. Because yeah. you can't decide anymore. You could make the decision, I'm choosing not to have that because I feel like cream cheese is made um, unethically. That's a vegan. That's someone who's choosing to live that lifestyle. But if you don't do it because of this strict set of rules that is guiding your life, I think that's where it becomes disordered. Yeah. That's the distinction to me. That's a that's a really good example. So... Speaking of concerning things, <laughs> this the segment's full of them, but we just can't have this conversation without at least touching on fad diets and spa treatments, as promised, or what I'm going to call our quick fixes. So for both, I would say, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, that's just good life advice. Um, let's start with the fad diets. Initially, I had planned to mention some specific ones, but instead I'm going to focus on how to spot them. Uh, here are some signs to be on the lookout for 
according to Very Well Fit. So claims of fast and easy weight loss, elimination of certain food groups or bad foods, requires you to buy dietary supplements impressively labeled as fat burners, weight loss aids, and metabolism boosters. That stuff is so bad for you. Hydroxycut, I think, is the kind of thing they're referring to there. Been there. Tells you that foods need to be correctly combined for proper digestion to occur. No need for exercise. Highlight specific foods such as grapefruit, maple syrup, and lemonade or special soup. I'm like, I know all those diets. Yes. Okay, so I think many of us can discern the really bad ones. If someone's telling you to swallow cotton balls, smoke cigarettes to not get hungry, or swallow a tapeworm, you kind of get it. You're like, ah, that may not be the best thing to do. But some are a little tricky, like say something prescribed by a doctor, like Ozempic. I know this might not be your typical fad diet, but when you crosswalk it with the above list, it checks some boxes. If you don't know about Ozempic, this is a diabetes drug that's being prescribed for weight loss. There is at least one other, but um, this one is the most popular one. It's a weekly injection that dramatically lowers blood sugar and cholesterol. Great things for people with diabetes, no question about it. People who take it report forgetting to eat completely. Here's my That's healthy. <laughs> yeah, right. Here's my three issues with it. Number one, people who need the drug are having a hard time getting it because of people because people are using it as a weight loss treatment, okay? Number two, the weight comes back on if you stop taking the injection from what I've read. I don't want to speak like I'm some sort of authority. These are based on news articles I've read. But number what if I was like, I get Ozempic every two weeks and I can answer all your questions? That, well, that would be very helpful, I guess. <laughs> Concerning, but helpful. And number three, we really don't know what the long-term side effects are. Now, everybody has to do that with new medicines in the beginning, right? And we have to do kind of our own risk-benefit analysis. The risk-benefit analysis for making that choice when you have diabetes is a little different, different than wanting to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and again, in my opinion, I'm not trying to poo poo on people. I'm just trying to highlight something that you probably want to be thinking pretty closely. about. And just make sure that like the people around you who need the drug have access to it before you take it for weight loss. Yeah. That's probably a good neighborly thing to do. I think that's right. And I also wonder too, like, I don't know what these conversations are looking like. Um, when people are going into their doctor's office, I don't know if some people are getting it and they don't know that people with diabetes can't get a hold of it right now. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't know how much they're reading the news. That's what I'm saying. Like, I hope doctors are saying. Uh-huh. And also before you go to your doctor to ask for a medication or an injection or before you take something your doctor it. tells you, maybe look into it. Yeah. I mean, you just like, it's good to trust, but verify. Right. And are some of these happening? Do you know some of the Ozempic, Ozempic and Ozempic adjacent things like mm-hmm. semaglutides or whatever that's called? Mm-hmm. Some of those are happening in medical spas, and I'm putting that in parentheses as well, right? Well, I was, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, oh goodness, uh, they are called lipotropic. Okay. But I don't know that these are exactly the same things, but that's, um, they're like uh, fat loss injections mm-hmm. um, that are a mix of like vitamins, minerals, and some other magical ingredients. Um, but I don't know that that's the exact same. I just can't figure out what sort of doctor is giving someone Ozempic who, a, a, a drug for diabetes who doesn't have diabetes or pre diabetic, you know? Yeah. Like there's no level of prioritization. You know, I want to say that. And I think that's absolutely right. And then at the same time, like how many people, how many providers got busted 
for, um, Mm -hmm. you know, running pill mills and stuff, you know? So I don't know. And I don't know if maybe some providers are feeling pressured or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. I imagine. Yeah. Uh, another example though, one that's a little less, um, pharmaceutical might be something like whole 30. If you don't know what whole 30 is, basically you eliminate sugar, alcohol, grains, legumes, dairy, sulfites, and baked goods. That is an interesting amalgamation of things. Um, but you do it for 30 days and then you slowly reintroduce certain foods. I think with a few goals in mind, one is to come out on the other side with like a, a healthier lifestyle. This is supposed to be like a jolt interchange, like a switch up. Um, it was also like the idea of like, as you're introducing those foods back in, it's supposed to give you an idea of like, what's making you feel better and what's making you feel worse so that you can tease out what really works for you. I want to be very clear that, um, I know that you and I have both dabbled with this one. Mm -hmm. That's why I picked it. Um, and that's to say that this is not unsafe. It's, but it's live strong. As Liz Strong points out, it's it's really that it's so restrictive mm-hmm. and it requires a high level of commitment to actually work, including daily prepping and meal preparation. So unless you're like highly disciplined or really competitive, because I know people turn them into competitions, I think it would be super easy to just end up elbow deep in a chocolate cake. Yeah. And, and to the thing with something like Whole30 um, or something that's really restrictive is uh, like knowing why you're doing it. And if you're doing it like me, I have a problem with dairy. I, the older I get, the the harder it is. And so I have had periods in my life where I've gone um, completely dairy free and I'm mostly dairy free now, but I did like a whole 30 adjacent thing a few years ago and went completely dairy free. And the second I reintroduced it, I felt like crap. And I knew dairy is a trigger for me. I can live without dairy though because I made really slow adjustments and I did it because I don't want to feel like crap. Not because mm-hmm. I want it doesn't make me any skinnier. I just don't want to feel like crap and mm-hmm. it really hurts my stomach. So to restrict yourself in that way is a little more manageable than to restrict yourself against an arbitrary set of rules. Well, I think that, so I will share that for me, like I know there's trigger foods for me that like, I can't just have one. I need 17,000 of them. And so sometimes I will just steer clear because I know what I feel like on the other end of that when I've decided to overindulge. Soft cookies from the grocery store. (laughs) That's such a very specific example that I love. I'm like that with certain potato chips. (laughs) Doritos. I'm rough with Doritos. Certain flavor. Um, I really like Cool Ranch, yeah. but I also can do nacho cheese a year. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing to get back to this, sorry for the tangent, uh, but is this just idea like if you do enter into something that you know you can't stick to because it's so restrictive, it leads to this concern, which is yo-yo dieting or weight cycling. And this is where a person is just losing and gaining weight on repeat. Uh, that kind of thing can get pretty unhealthy. I kind of think of this whole thing as I was pulling this segment together as like a really intricate, perhaps overly complicated Venn diagram. That is, not all restrictive diets or regimens are fad diets, Mm -hmm. and not all fad diets are restrictive, but there is overlap. 
So psychologically speaking, they can all make people feel terrible about themselves when they can't maintain these impossible or even like just really weird standards. Mm -hmm. Nutritionally, they're probably robbing participants of things they do need, vitamins, minerals. In the long term, when you don't have those vitamins and minerals that you need, it can turn into things like osteoporosis and heart disease. Not eating enough, ironically, can affect your metabolism, but also your heart. Temperature regulation, heart rate, digestion, hormones, weight cycling may increase the risk of developing things like cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. And you know what stood out to me across this list? Your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, that thing is both strong and sensitive. So we want to be careful how much stress we're putting it through with all of these like different things and just be mindful of that. Uh, Spa treatments. Up next, these start to read a little bit like kissing cousins to the fad diet, if you will. They work, but they're not a long-term solution. The bottom line is the weight comes back with most of them quickly, especially without regular exercise and healthy eating. Women's Health has a good article that we'll link to where they talk about some of the most popular treatments so that people can make informed decisions. Now, those are Cool Sculpting, Vila Shape 2, and Body Wraps. Now, I have more details about each of these, and I can share as little or as much as you'd like. I'm going to let you dictate. Just if you have any questions, you let me know. What I want to make sure everybody walks away with, though, whether we go through the details of each of these or not, is that the cheapest one is $200 a treatment, one time, and the most expensive is $1,700 a treatment. Uh, How long it lasts is pretty on par with the expense. The cool sculpting is the most expensive one. If and when that weight comes back, it won't magically go back to the same area. So you could target your thighs, but you might gain the weight back in your face. Perfect. That is straight up sorcery. And then you can't do anything with that. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So totally crazy. Um, Women's health also warns caution around high heat and excessive sweating. Depending That's what on I was the thinking treatment. about the body wraps. It's basically just going to compress your cells. And as soon as you drink more water... So this is what's so funny. So exactly. They say you don't want to get dehydrated. You don't want to throw off your electrolytes or worst of all, stress your heart. Let me go ahead and tell you that is all a body wrap is. It's dehydration. I know I've done them. Um, Mm -hmm. Now I will tell you, like, I think even a spa will tell you, I would be really surprised if anybody was like, yes, come in. This is a great weight loss treatment. No, it's like a, Hey, I'm going to prom. Hey, I'm going to this special event. You like slim up for a dress where you're just trying to get like a little, I'm not saying any of this is healthy. I'm just saying this is the way I think of it. Being I cannot more. imagine anything worse than spending 600 or 400 or $200 on something to feel good for an hour until I have my first glass of water. It's usually a couple of days. And I'm in like but a yeah. really snug dress and then I feel terrible about myself all over again. Well, and then they're like, you can lose anywhere from up to... 38 inches or something and you're like great but it's like a little bit from your wrist and right. from your, you know right. my wrist it's is so thin cumulative is in really That's small right. letters and uh i mean so it it did work really great for just being in a dress that like n- none of those formal dresses are comfortable um and so you almost do want something that makes you feel a little bit more like like a corset like, of course, you know, something that makes you feel, you know, like Snatched. equal with men and others in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they're pretty dumb. Oh, sorry. I mean, unless you want them, then go for it. I mean, that's the bottom line with all this, right? Like, choose Absolutely. what's best for you. Go also, in with eyes wide open. They also weren't $200 when I was getting them. Mm. Of course, a lot of time has passed. I did say the word prom. <laughs> 
I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it was more money than I had. I feel uh, comfortable saying that. It was a lot of daycare money is what <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. I had to just tote around so many juice carts for that body wrap. So, uh, but all those things though, yeah. I mean, again, stressing the heart. I just, that one just keeps bubbling up across all of these. The last one I'll mention is what I was talking about earlier, which are these fat burning injections. I think this is more of a med spa offering, but, but more than you would find at like a luxury spa, but they may have like a med spa section. I think it just depends on the spa, but B12 and lipotropic injections are the most, um, uh, most popular. So B12, that feels a bit more obvious. It's B12, like the vitamin, but lipotropic is a mix of vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. And B12 is often in the mix of those things. They reportedly boost energy, increase metabolism, reduce water weight gain, help the body break down fat and carbs, and can benefit a patient's mental health by improving mood and helping with focus. This all sounds great. Wonderful. So I me. Well, I'm a big fan of B vitamins, honestly. Mm. Uh, I think it's great for a lot of things. I I don't use it for weight loss, but a lot of those latter things I use it for, like the focus and improving mood and that kind of thing. But according to Medical News Today, research hasn't confirmed that these injections are safe or effective for weight loss. Now, let me be clear. I didn't necessarily read anything that said that they were unsafe or didn't help. It's just we don't have the stuff yet to prove that they are. I think anytime you're injecting something into your body, I'm going to think twice. (laughs) I'm going to think twice, you know, well, this is to me kind of puts me in the mind of, um, you know, the vaping situation, Mm -hmm. this is better for you. Okay. If you're inhaling something and it's not oxygen, chances are your body's not going to like it. So I tend to think a little bit in line with that here. Now, again, like B12, I get a little less concerned about just because it's a water-soluble vitamin. I mean, I... But they're taking a needle and putting it in your skin. (laughs) They are taking a needle and putting it in your skin. That's true. So I read an interview with author Randy Susan Myers, who wrote the book Wasted. Coincidentally, this is about a group of friends who go to a weight loss spa. I got it because I was going to read it in preparation for today. And it made you sad. No, it's just sitting on my night table. Oh, you ran out of time. I look at the book cover. I go, oh, look at that. That's nice. That's what I like to do with books. I like to just accumulate them. Uh (laughs) Good. In writing this book, though, because I did look into the background of it. Is it like biographical or autobiographical? It's a fiction. So it's interesting that you asked that. So it is fiction, but she talks in interviews leading up to this book coming out about how she had to address her own issues in order to write the book. It's familiar to me. Probably. I show you the book. I should have brought it in here. But so in writing the book, she thought a lot about why women are so tough on themselves about their weight. What was coming from internal judgments? How much was coming from society? How much from the media? So I'll just say that I'm not sure it matters how much comes from each of these, but rather that we're just getting it from all directions. And that's what makes this such a tough assignment. So I'm, I'm just going to share some things about myself. I started thinking about my own weight when I was five. I wanted to know why my stomach wasn't flat like the people that I saw on TV. And I specifically remember asking like my grandmother, like what was going on? Like, where's my abs? You know, I didn't know their abs, but where am I here? Where are my bumps on my stomach? What's happening? That's what a five-year-old would say. Yeah. And so, and and she couldn't have been more graceful about it, but it didn't matter. The seeds were already planted. So I'm monitoring my weight by the time I'm eight years old. 
I'm getting on the scale sometimes. God, that's so sad. I'm getting on the scale sometimes several times a day. I've fallen prey to fad diets, restrictive regimens, and my relationship with food has been unhealthy. I'm not really an emotional eater. I can be. My issue is more that I'm an Epicurean by nature. So I love food and it tastes good. So I want more of it. Mm -hmm. One cookie is too many and yet one million is never enough. That's just sort of my mentality. And so uh, I I did do some some self-research during the past couple weeks. And another thing I realized I do is I may not be an emotional eater, but if I'm bored, I'm like, where is the peanut butter? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just cause like, it's almost like I have to always be doing something. So I guess I might as well be eating noodles. I don't know, but that's part of my journey. And I want to share that because I don't want anyone listening to think that I'm some kind of expert. Mm-hmm. I'm not. What I am is someone who keeps trying to figure it out. I am also someone who despises when people are taken advantage of in any way, really, including when it comes to health and wellness, but especially making people feel like they're not good enough because they don't look a certain way or fit a certain mold. And for me, that's what this episode is about, like just talking these things through and attempting to distinguish the truth from the lies. Um, with that in mind, I would, I'm going to take a br- stop. I'm going to take a stop break and just see if there's anything that you want to ask, or if there's anything that you want to talk about before we move, move into the healthy portion of this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that thing of your internal narrative, right? And oh, what is, so good. what is your brain telling you? Yeah. And is your brain telling you you're not enough? And if you've ever had someone make a pointed comment about your body or your weight, it lodges somewhere in your brain because the negativity always lodges more than the positivity. And so that one comment someone made to you when you were at a really impressionable age, for me, it was probably like 15, 16. And that comment lodges. And every time I start to feel bad about myself, that's the voice that comes back up. And I think bringing a parent perspective to it and a parent of a little girl in particular, but I'm also cognizant about this for my son as well. It's such a, it's so hard to be body neutral and try to model those behaviors that I want her when I'm still struggling with my own issues. Mm -hmm. And I keep waiting for that magic age where I just don't care anymore. I can tell you the last few years I focused more on weight training and less on cardio and burning calories and more on getting stronger and feeling better about my body. Mm -hmm. And I will say that has changed a lot about my perception on food because I just don't obsess over it the same way I used to. Some of it's time. I just don't have the time to do it anymore. I do still have a little bit of, if I don't watch what I eat for the same reason you mentioned. If I don't watch it, I spiral really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've tried to reframe to focus on nutrition. We talk a lot in our house about nutrition versus healthy. Sometimes it still slips up. But I try to say like, is that really the most nutritious choice that we should make today? So like my daughter had fruity pebbles for breakfast the other day and not to give her a complex, but I know she also eats a lot of not super healthy snacks at school, super nutritious snacks at school. See, it slips, mm-hmm. super nutritious stuff. And so then she comes home, has dinner, and we um, have been making homemade ice cream. I just wanted to kind of be cognizant that all this sugar is adding up throughout the day. And so make nutritious choices and make it for that reason. It's not tied to body at all. It's because I want you to feel good. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a tough balance because you're trying to teach good nutrition, but in our society, good nutrition is so intermingled with weight loss that it's really hard to tease those apart. And I've struggled with it a lot. And I will say my son also has occasionally pointed out belly sort of stuff. Like, why is my belly so big? 
and we just say, because you ate a good, you ate a good dinner, bud. Your tummy's full. It's gonna, um, you know, it's gonna digest and stretch out later, and you're gonna feel great. And that's how we move on from it. And then he's five, so we move on. But it's gonna get harder as they get older because you don't want your kid to stick out for any sort of way. Yeah. You you want them to be healthy and feel good about themselves, but you also don't want to restrict their foods. It's just really that is a really major source of stress for me. Yeah. And the thing is, is like my mom would have never, if anything, I think my mom was so concerned about me, like about me going through what she went through Mm -hmm. when she was younger. And it's not really my place to tell my mom's story here, but like, Mm -hmm. um, I think she was, she never wanted, that lady has never called me anything but beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just how she is. And so it didn't really have anything to do with her mm-hmm. or the words that she was using with me, which leads me to believe all these years later that I just have to uh, just imagine that it was all that other text. It's the other noise. Yeah, that was coming in from all of the different directions. And I think you and I recently talked about, you know, what we're seeing on TV, the people that are just so like, and it's not always the case. And it is a little bit better, but not really. Um, people who aren't just like tiny, tiny, tinies, you know? And I think, so you just, you can be an average size, but if you're just constantly watching really, really thin people, Hollywood thin people on TV and in movies all the time or on your phone, like, you know, I think it's hard for you to not like then look in the mirror and be like, oh, wait, what, what, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Where's my Hollywood skinniness? You know, um, and uh, I I don't, yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, I don't have all of the answers for this. All I know to do is keep talking about it. So when this came up as something that we could address here, I just, you know, I, I just want to be as honest as I can about it. Um, because I feel like if there's anybody out there that hears this and it's helpful for them or makes them realize like you're not alone or you're, it's whatever you're feeling, it's not strange or funny. I mean, we feel all kinds of different things and we're just trying to like put it in the right boxes and make sense of it. Honestly, of all my girlfriends that I think I've known throughout my life, I can only think of one or two who are capable of being completely disassociated from negative feelings about their, and like having it affect their day-to-day life. Like I have at least one friend I can think of who can say objectively, like I've gained some weight. I haven't been eating well. And like, it doesn't beat herself up over it. She's not losing quality of life over it. She still goes and enjoys the food she likes because that's where she is in life. I can only think of like one or two people like that. I can think of many more people who have been influenced in a negative way. And so they're they're making active decisions about their life because they want to be thin. It's just really sad. Yeah. And, and again, I can see that in other people. And I can say, God, that's so sad. I feel like I want to help you. I do the same thing to myself. I do the exact same thing to myself. And I've done it for years. So I don't know what the answer is. But maybe you have the answer in the next part of the segment. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's hop on into it. What do the experts say? Let's loop back to Alyssa Rumsey. She seems like she knows what's going on. She's our registered dietitian and nutrition therapist. Take the focus off weight and instead consider healthy eating or nutritious eating, nutritious eating, physical activity, how you're managing your stress and learning how to be compassionate with yourself, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally too. Now, I think there's a lot to unpack there, but I do think that's true is like more of this holistic approach where you're thinking more than about 
like one aspect or these things that are really secondary, like how much you weigh, but how do you feel? So much of it sounds to me like it boils down to that inner voice. Like if you truly listen to your inner voice and your inner voice is saying, oh God, I want that cookie, but you know what? I had three cookies at lunch. I don't really need it right now. I want to feel better in an hour. If you truly sat and listened to that, maybe you would hear it. Maybe not always, but maybe sometimes. Yeah. But it requires being present. That, and that is, and thank you for saying the word present, because I think that's the other thing. And it just, and it's so funny, because it's almost like the world keeps trying to tell me something. It's like trying to hammer at home. And I ju- I'm just like, I'll just do this over here and I'll multitask. And, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the world is like, hey, sit down, shut up and just be for a minute. Just be a human being and stop being a human doing. And I do think that some of that is in the sauce. Uh, you know, one thing she didn't really come right out and say in these different articles, but she she is encouraging looking for progress beyond the scale, mm-hmm. you know? So to, now I find this challenging, but one of the things is to tune into when you're hungry and full and listening to your body. I so got that hard. man, but then I'm soaring right past it. Cause I want that sixth cookie. So I think again, that's like it, it now sometimes I do a little bit of a better job of just saying like, you will like at least not be pissed off at yourself mm-hmm. in two hours. If you just have one, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still don't know that I don't think that there's some unhealthy stuff there that's going on. That's what I was thinking. So when I think about it, I'm thinking like on my good days, on my present days, I'm thinking you're really not going to feel well, like cookies and sugar and all that. Cause I don't really eat a ton of sugar anymore, but I do on the weekends and sometimes during the weekend, cause I am an emotional eater. Um, but when I have sugar, like now I'm pretty, I react to it and I know I'm not going to feel good. And so if I'm if I'm really treating myself well, I'm listening to that part of my brain. Um, if I'm if I'm in a mode where I'm not treating myself well, that is self-flagellation right there. That is telling yourself, oh my God, you're so stupid. You have no self-control. You're always going to be fat because you eat too many cookies because you're a horrible human being. That's yeah. what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. So then in two hours, you're going to tell yourself that. Right. So the next time the situation pops up, you're not making the decision from a place of, I want to feel good. You're making the decision from a place of, I don't want to hate myself in a little while and I'm going to hate myself in a little while. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to how much do you want to hate yourself today? Yeah. Just make the decision not to hate yourself. I mean, I don't want to. That is for sure. (laughs) So she also talks about, this is again what I was saying, like check in on these other aspects, like as you're trying to kind of fine tune your own health, like how does your energy level feel? Mm -hmm. What's your sleep look like? We talked a couple episodes about how important sleep is your flexibility, your endurance, uh, you know, and these two are both critical issues for me, less binging and less all or nothing thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are, that's a really hard journey for me. All or nothing is hard for me. I'm telling you. So we'll also link to a couple of articles for food specifically. You know, this one's a little tough for me because I think this has to be super individualized journey, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but one is the healthy eating plate. I'm assuming this is what they're teaching in schools now. I'll just say that uh, this is actually from, I don't know that it's Harvard that did it, but this was a Harvard article. But you can use this guide for creating healthy balanced meals. And I do think there is something to having a guide in place. So like a lot of times when I talk to friends who are trying to like 
eat more nutritiously or like do some kind of workout plan, sometimes they'll come to me and ask me for guidance because they don't know what to do. Um, and I think sometimes just having something to look to as a starting point and then you start tailoring it to your own likes and dislikes, I think can be really helpful. Is the plate the thing of like half to be greens, a quarter to be That's protein? Right. Okay. That's right. I also think people are highly visual, so I think that helps. I mean, it was well, it was really smart. Uh, and it's nothing like the six to 11 breads that we were supposed to have <laughs> right. when we were in school. Right. Have you had your 11 breads today? <laughs> I don't think the number was 11, was it? It was, was a lot I of bread. I swear it was six to 11. It feels much like, more encouraging than I thought. No problem. I had 11 Parker rolls. <laughs> so all covered. <laughs> Um, I also like just having some guideposts and I did, we'll link to an article with some of those. It's like top healthy eating habits brought to you by a dietitians. So it's just like stuff to pick and choose from. I mean, literally a menu of options. So some sample ones are like staying away from sugary beverages. I'll say that I stopped doing that a long time ago. That was like, I think one of the best decisions I've ever made. I quit drinking sodas in 2010 and I've just sort of never looked back. Now, this is actually one place where I feel like I may have actually reached some kind of even kill. Mm-hmm. every now and then I will just treat myself to a Coke. It is a regular Coke, a regular Coke. Oh. It is maybe once a month, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. but like most of the time I just don't even want it anymore. Yeah. But sometimes if I'm having like pizza or a hot dog or something that's Wings just like and yeah, Mexican food, you just need something that's really gonna and sandwiches and cereal. Mine, I prefer the taste of Diet Coke over regular Coke. I just prefer it. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So my treat, treat is not the right word, but like my, um, the one time I will have uh, a soda is when I have Diet Coke, maybe at a Mexican restaurant or like out at dinner. Man, you can't beat the fizzy. A crispy fountain Coke. That's where it's at. The other thing I can't turn down is a a Coke Freezy. They're my favorite treats in the entire world. Yeah. Like above all else is a Coke Freezy. So if I go to the movies, I'm getting me a Coke Freezy. See, I want a Diet Coke. And popcorn? Popcorn makes my stomach hurt, but only at the movies do I want popcorn. Makes my stomach hurt so bad. Yes, I'm very excited. We're going to go see Indiana Jones on Monday. And I plan on getting, and and like normally, like I try and stay, that's a trigger food for me, but not on Monday with Indiana Jones. Not in the movie theater. I'm having all the butter and I'm having all the popcorn because there's nothing more miserable than going to the movies and denying yourself, which I have Kyle does not buy food at the movie theater. And he's always like, we just had breakfast. I'm like, so? He's like, we just had lunch. And I'm like, so? It's it's a movie, Sam. You got to eat at the movies. It's, It's a rule. So some of these other um, guideposts, though, is like just little things like including some fermented foods like kimchi or sauerkraut. Are these terrible to you? See, I love sauerkraut. I just don't. That feels weird to me. It's a probiotic. Tablespoon. I'll just take a probiotic vitamin. There's another way about it. Um, And then you can add fruit to your midday snacks. And then this one goes back to what we were talking about, about being mindful and being present. Is like, don't just sit there and like mindlessly eat in front of the TV. That can be a danger zone if you're not careful. Although I will say, if you just have the one plate, like I wouldn't go and sit there with a bag of chips. Mm -hmm. But I might sit down with my dinner plate because it's already made. Mm -hmm. That's a done deal. It's just that and then done for the night. But... The other thing I just want to say is please remember just about everything in life is a journey. It is not a destination. It's trite, but it is true. And that goes for health as well. Trust me, we will be doing the same. I'm going to let Kimberly Dark, an author and Ms. Magazine contributor, close us out with this quote that I've personally been marinating on for two weeks now. 
Diet culture has disguised itself as wellness. If your practice of wellness is looking at how you can modify your body, well, that's still diet culture, even if it is for health. You know the drill. DM us, email us, or contact us from the website. Find us all over the socials. And that's this week's Extra Sugar. <laughs> 